Welcome to these Bible lessons on the Old Testament. In these lessons, we'll cover God's magnificent creation of all the world, including the creation of man, the crown of God's creation. We'll follow with the sad fall of man in paradise and the consequences this brought to the world. In the continuing lessons, we'll teach how God visits men with the revelation of His covenant of grace. When we travel together through the entire Old Testament, we see God visiting His nation of Israel with revelations of this covenant of grace, pointing constantly to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope these lessons are a blessing to you. Thank you. Welcome to Lesson 6 in our Old Testament Bible History series. This lesson will follow the family of Seth, and its title is Noah Found Grace. You can follow along in your Bible for this story in Genesis 5 and the first part of Genesis 6 up till verse 8. It would be a good idea to follow along in your Bible because the family of Cain and the family of Seth have many different names that are very similar and it's easy to get them confused. Before we begin, I have a question for you. What type of wild animal is found in the part of the world where you're from? Where I'm from, it's a grizzly bear. And I'd like you to imagine with me if I left my house one morning and I left that front door open and a grizzly bear came into my house and ate all my food, left muddy tracks everywhere, destroyed all the furniture, and made a great big mess. That grizzly bear could make my house unlivable. And that's a picture of what it's like in this world. When we allowed sin to enter this world, it makes the world nearly unlivable. Another question, remind yourself what the purpose of the Bible is. One of them is to make the salvation of God known. And it's in this story that some of the details of that plan of salvation, of God going out to purchase back his church, we're going, to, we're going to find out about those details. And so we'll move to Genesis 5. And there, right at the beginning of this family tree of Seth, we see a detail repeated that also comes in Genesis 1. And that is that Adam was made in God's image. And then a verse or two later, we read that Seth was made in the image of Adam. Why this detail? Well, if you would look at the previous chapter in Genesis 4, verse 16, you can read that Cain's family started with him going out from the presence of God. And here in Genesis 5, we can see that Seth's family is starting with God. It's also worth noting that not only was Adam made in the image of God, but then Seth is made in the image of Adam. That tells us that he was also made in God's image, but like Adam, he was also a sinner. Now we know that Adam trusted in God's promise of that future Savior. But that faith, that trust, that grace, that could not be passed on to the next generation. That trust 
is a gift from God. And so then the family tree continues, and each of the men mentioned there each get three verses. You can see in Cain's family tree in the previous chapter that the family tree is quickly skipped through in just a verse or two. And here we see some suggestion that God is not acknowledging the family of Cain. But in this godly family of Seth, each of these men get three verses. The details of their birth, the length of their life, and their death are clearly recorded. And so the family tree continues. It's Adam, Seth, then Enos, Cainan, then Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, then we come to Lamech, and then Noah. Ten generations. Just to get an idea of what length of time we're talking about, Noah, the tenth, he was born about a thousand years after the world was created. And there's something that we read in each of these group of three verses. If you look at them carefully, I'm sure you already know what it is. We read twice for each of these men, and he lived. And we read once, and he died. Except there's one man where it's not mentioned. Look up Enoch. It first says Enoch lived, and then it says that Enoch walked, and it doesn't say Enoch died. There was no death for Enoch. God saw that Enoch lived an extraordinarily close life with God. He walked with God. He prayed to God to keep him from sin. He prayed that he would never offend God in anything. He asked God to make him holy and to keep him separate from the wickedness that was around him. And so as he did not live like others, then it pleased God to make him not die like the others. And he was simply translated from earth to heaven. The Bible tells us that God took him. Then we have Enoch and Enoch's son was Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest man who ever lived, 969 years old. All of the men mentioned in this chapter lived greater than 800 years, all except Enoch and Lamech. Clearly, God must have provided for a very rich and healthy environment at that time to allow for such long lives. And this, of course, was necessary to populate the earth and to pass on the knowledge that they each had, the stories of their history, the stories of the Garden of Eden, the story of what a beautiful relationship they used to have with God and how that was broken, and also the promise of how it can be restored. At that time, of course, it would have been all stories. It would have been a spoken history. Adam lived to such an age that he could have spoken to each of these men first-hand knowledge about what all these things were, were about. Noah was the only one who was born after Adam died. Of these ten men here, let's take a look at Lamech. This is a, this is a different Lamech than the Lamech mentioned in the previous chapter. Cain's family had a Lamech. He was very wicked. This Lamech from Seth's family is a different man. Lamech had a son named Noah. 
Lamech was a very tired man. He looked around him. He saw the immense damage that sin was doing. He saw the effects of the, surf, uh, of the curse. He saw that the earth was cursed because of sin. And he saw the effects on people around him as they argued and fought and sinned against each other. Lamech was very tired of sin. And so when Noah was born, he says, this same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Lamech sees Noah as a future rest. He must have some insight or knowledge that the promised seed would come from his son Noah. For a moment, Let's compare these two families. Is that really necessary, you might say? It's a fairly easy story, just a family tree. What is its usefulness? Well, remember that all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's all there in the Bible for a very special reason. We can learn that the family of Cain is very self-centered. They live a life in the city focused on the inventions they're making. But the family of Seth is living apart. They're living apart from the wickedness. You can see this in the names of Seth's family. Enos, he called upon the name of the Lord at that time. Mahalalel means praise of God. Enoch walked with God. Lamech hoped for rest from God. And Noah walked with God and also built the ark. This family tree then concludes near the end of chapter 5, and at the beginning of chapter 6, we see a change. It might look quite promising at the end of chapter 5, when in the time of Enos, men began to call again upon the name of the Lord. But at the beginning of chapter 6, we see that there, uh, there is again a descent into sin. It shows that man is just a sinner. There we read that the sons of God began to marry the daughters of men. More than likely, this means that the sons of Seth began to marry the daughters of Canaan or the daughters of Cain. They saw that they were fair-looking and they chose them. So we see that their motivations were not pure. They looked on the outside. They saw that they were fair. They didn't look at character. And the Bible also tells us that they chose them. So there's no suggestion that they were seeking the Lord for help about who to choose as a wife. And so what was the result of this sin of the sons of God marrying the daughters of men? Well, the two families of Seth and Cain began to resemble each other more and more. Or really, we should say that the family of Seth began to resemble the family of Cain. And so that means they became more wicked. They turned away from God. They didn't seek him anymore. They turned their back on God. They had few thoughts about him. They loved themselves rather than God. The Bible tells us that there were giants in the land in those days. Large in size? Probably yes. But certainly large in an evil character. They were, they, they were known for a very evil reputation. Psalm 14 could have easily been written at this time. We read there in verse 3 that they are all gone aside. 
They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. The word filthy here means wicked. And so God had to then clean that earth of that wickedness. Because he looked at man and he saw that their hearts and their imaginations, all of their thoughts, were always bent to evil. Always. They were born in sin. That sin was in them. It was in their character. It was in their bones. They were stained with sin. You and I were also born with that original sin. And so God sees this and he is offended at the wickedness that is breaking out in the world. He sees that they, they were very evil, that the evil was very strong and intense. The Bible tells us that it was great in the earth and that every imagination from their heart was only evil continually. So it shows that it infected everything all the time. And then we read that God repented of this and that it grieved him at his heart that he had made man. So does God repent? Was he really sorry and he regretted what he had done? Well, we know that God's character does not change. What God says he will do, he will do it for sure. When God says he will do something, that will happen. He will not repent in a way that we would repent. Here, the word repent means that he's changing his purpose. God always meant to punish sin. God is perfect. His character, his desires, his plans, they're all perfect. So from our side, it looks like God changed his purpose, but from God's side, his purpose to punish sin was always the same. Before the world was even made, God's plan for this world was laid out perfectly. God is never surprised by anything we can do. When God changes his purpose, that's what it looks like from our side, not from God's side. God reveals himself here as a judge of sin. And so he's going to destroy this wicked world. This wickedness has gotten so bad that it actually cannot get any worse because before the flood came, there was only one family left that feared the Lord. All of them are filthy, but only one family, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is not a random thing. Rather, Noah was looking for that grace. He knew he needed the Lord, and so he prayed. He was looking for that grace from God. What is grace? Grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. And so Noah was a sinner. He deserved punishment, and he received the opposite. He actually received salvation. He found grace. Noah trusted God. Noah was sincere and honest before God. He was truthful, and he served God. He walked with God. He walked with God when the rest of the world walked against God. And so we have here that God comes, and he's going to use Noah to complete his plan of salvation. 
And we're going to find in our next story that Noah is saved so that this world can get a new beginning. So this is God. He saves the righteous. He destroys the ungodly. That's one of the things God does. And so what is the connection for us today? What is the message of this family tree for you and I? Well, we can see that God is just and righteous. He is not going to overlook sin and to just allow it to carry on. He is perfect and he must punish it. The next thing we read is that God is long-suffering. In 1 Peter 3, verse 20, we read the following text. It says there that the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. And so it's connected with the patience of God. It's connected with kindness and mercy. It's especially connected with God being patient with a sinner and slow to punish them. About God being slow to anger. Why is that? Why is God slow to anger? Is that because he's not ready or not able or not willing? No, the purpose of God's long-suffering is repentance and salvation. We can read that from the Apostle Paul in Romans 2, verse 4. There he says, Do you despise the riches of God's long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? So we have the effect of God's long-suffering being repentance of sinners. We can also read this in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, God doesn't want anyone to die, but he is patient towards sinners so that all would come to repentance. We can see here what God does. God is a judge. He judges us on our actions. He punishes the wicked and rewards the righteous. We can also see that God warns and gives a sinner a chance to repent. We can see that God cares for and keeps his church. God always has a people that love him and that God loves. God will always care for his church and preserve it. We can see that God always does his purpose, his will or his aim. And that purpose or will or aim is especially that he will deliver his people. A hard word for that act of delivering his people from sin is redemption. And there the picture is of someone who has lost a possession and they are going out to pay a price to get that possession back. And so here we see that in conclusion, in this lesson, we have, seen, we have seen that Adam, through his rebellion, has allowed sin to enter. We have seen that God has allowed sin to grow, to show just how terrible it is. And we've also seen that God is saving one man and his family, Noah, in order to start provide the world with a new beginning. What I would like you to do is to reread this family tree of Seth, and after that, to read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. 
and towards the end of Luke 3, look for the names that are in the family tree of Seth. And you can see that the family tree of Seth is also in the family tree of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is a far-off grandson of Seth, that promised seed who would be born. In our next lesson, we're going to see the judgment of the world through the flood and the salvation of some, one family, through that judgment.